Every gambler knows that the secret to surviving is knowing what to throw away, knowing what to keep. Well, if you want to know how much I love you guys, I recorded Canada Club episode 8, and then I shut down my computer to do a little editing at the end, and none of it recorded, so I'm going to do it all over again. First, I want to start out by saying thank you so much for contributing. I want to give you club episodes that are a little bit different than the main show, and I'm going to start out right now by saying something that nobody knows about, because this is what Canada does, and Canada takes the arrows and tries to put the truth out there, even if everyone else is just trying to spit it. So what if I told you that Steve Ritchie was not Jersey Jack Pinball's first designer that they tried to get from Stern Pinball? Why would they go after Steve Ritchie first? If you think about it, if you're Jersey Jack Pinball and you want to invest in the future of your company, are you going to go after a designer who has had nothing but flops recently? Wouldn't you want the hottest designer in pinball? Wouldn't you want someone a little bit younger? Because if you're building the future, are you really going to build it around two guys that should probably be thinking about retiring at this stage? And if you were thinking that way, you'd be right. The designer that Jersey Jack Pinball tried to get was Keith Elwin. Now, I have on very good source that Keith Elwin was approached and Jersey Jack Pinball tried to get him to come over. The conversations obviously didn't go the way of JJP and Keith Elwin will remain at Stern Pinball. I think it's a great decision for Keith Elwin. Now, if I were Eric Minier's agent, and I'm not, he stopped talking to me when I brought up the playfield issues with Guns N' Roses, but if I were giving Eric advice, the place I would go if I were him is Stern Pinball. We know there is a designer spot that is now open up, and Steve Ritchie was making a very good salary by Gary Stern. And we know that he said he was unhappy and that's why he left. And of course, he's going to say that. And he had two Whitewoods designed before he left. One of them is James Bond, which George Gomez will probably finish. But it is coming out. Steve Ritchie's design of James Bond. I don't think Steve Ritchie will get the designer credit for it. I think it will be George Gomez. But that is one of the pins that Steve Ritchie worked on. What's also very interesting about this acquisition for Jersey Jack Pinball now is this. And I haven't heard anyone talk about this, but Steve Ritchie clearly knows Stern's next two to three year lineup of games. And now Jersey Jack Pinball knows that as well. That is some valuable information for JJP to know. They now know what Stern has. They now know the schedule. They now know what they're up against as they're thinking about what titles and themes they put out into the pinball marketplace. But even knowing all of that, I don't think acquiring Steve Ritchie helps at all Jersey Jack's biggest problem, which is manufacturing and which is getting two games out a year. They still have not been able to do that. And there's nothing that's indicating that this company is going to ramp up production anytime soon. In fact, it's the other way around. It's hard to get parts. It's hard to get labor. The cost of raw materials is going up and up and up. So for pinball companies who are in the manufacturing business, COVID has really hit them hard. And I don't think Jersey Jack Pinball all of a sudden, because they have a new designer, is actually going to have stuff for him to do for a very long time. And I also think the big question now is, does Steve Ritchie cut in front of Eric Minier and it's his game after Pat Lawler's Toy Story? I know if you ask people, would you rather see what's next from Steve Ritchie or Eric Minier, everyone's going to say Eric Minier. 
Now, this is Steve's chance. This is Steve's chance to finally show us what he can do without restrictions. But all of the people I've talked to over at Stern, they told me the same thing. They said that Steve just didn't put the effort in the same way Keith Owen did. And Steve Ritchie did not think outside the box and really think hard about how he can push it forward. The lack of imagination and creativity on Steve's recent games is not because of the bomb. It's because of Steve. And now that he's over at Jersey Jack Pinball and he's got access to more money, is that going to increase his creativity and his imagination? We shall see. No pressure, Steve. Don't drop the ball now. There's going to be nobody to blame if Steve Ritchie's Jersey Jack machine isn't packed. So I put on my Facebook page that Godzilla Ellie is sold out. And I know that upsets people. It gets the hype going. It gets the FOMO going because there's a lot of people out there now that are finding it extremely difficult to get these Stern LE machines. And I want to sort of talk about this for a minute. So unfortunately, what's happened is these distributors now have lists of people that they go down and offer each game to. And there's only a finite amount of games each distributor is allocated. So let's say, for example, someone gets 30 LEs their list is probably 60 people long. So if you're trying to get on the list, how do you get a game? Now, here's what I think needs to happen in pinball because everyone's sort of trying to resist this. There's a few ways about it. I think you're going to see more and more distributors charge over sticker because why should they let people get a game at MSRP then all of a sudden flip it for thousands of dollars more? The only fair thing to do is to price the game at the market value. I know that sucks in other industries like people hate it in the car world, but how are you going to give people a chance to get it if nobody will let them get on the list. You could sell it direct, but Stern will never sell many games direct. I want to talk about that for a minute because the smartest decision that has ever happened in the history of pinball was Stern's decision to sell their games through distributors as a bundle. So the way it works, if you want to get a Stern LE machine because you know they're going to sell out instantly and it's the one everybody wants to get one, you have to commit to buying a certain number of premiums and pros. And that way, every single Stern LE they make is helping them sell premiums and pros. There's no other pinball company on planet Earth that understands how genius that principle is. The sales of the LE help Stern lift sales of every single model. And it's not customers they're selling to. Every single game is sold directly to distributors. So if a distributor wants one Godzilla LE, they might have to buy five premiums and like five pros. I don't know what the shakeout is. They probably change it on every game, but I think they try to keep it somewhat consistent. And by doing it this way, that guarantees Stern they will never have a flop. They have this huge army of distributors that is fighting each other to get allocations of LEs. And to get more LEs, they have to buy more and more premiums and pros. And it's so smart. It is so smart. And the other thing that Stern did that was so genius is that the money, the money is transferred from the distributor to Stern every time a new game comes out. And so they don't care if there's a little bit of a wait Right? People keep saying, well, they're not going to show a new game in September because they're so backlogged. But Stern doesn't care. All the money for those Jurassic Park premiums and Mandalorian premiums, all that money has been given to Stern months ago. That money's in the bank. It's growing with interest and they're paid. It's the distributor who's waiting and then the customer who's waiting. But the only one not waiting is Stern because they don't have to wait to get paid because they get paid on day one for all these sales. 
And no one ever worries whether or not they're going to get the game. It might take a long time to get these premiums now, but they don't care. They're going to show Godzilla LE, and on day one, every single one will sell out, and all those LEs and premium and pro orders will be ordered, and all that money will go into Stern's account on day one. Jersey Jack doesn't do it that way. They didn't make people buy Guns N' Roses LEs and SEs to get the CE. It would have been the smart move to do it that way. See, they should have done it that way because now Jersey Jack's going to have the same issue when Toy Story comes out. See, Stern continues to give most of their product to their big distributors who have made large orders year after year after year. And to break into that now, think about how hard it would be to break into that now. Say you want to become a pinball distributor and you want to break into that model. How are you going to get allocation? How are you going to compete with these big distributors? And I know people say like, oh, support local, buy local. I don't think most people care. I think people just want to get the game and they want to get it at the right price. They don't care where they get it from because it's just ending up on a truck and then coming to your door. Do you really care if it's local or not? If you ever need help or service, it doesn't matter. Your local distributor will still help you find a pinball tech. I still think most buyers out there just want to get the game. If I can get the game from a distributor in California versus my local guy, I'm going to go because that might be my only chance of getting the game. But it was the smartest move ever to do it this way. And this is how Stern Pinball guarantees a profit on every single machine. But the thing that's really been on my mind lately is just looking at the prices in this hobby and looking at the direction this hobby has gone in. It now feels like sneaker collectors, right? It now feels like vintage video game collectors. The amount of money people are spending on every single new pinball machine and the amount of FOMO that's sweeping across this hobby, it has me concerned. It really does. And I'm a hype man and I can get people hype and excited for these things, but these aren't sneakers. Like these are not video games. These are eight to six to 13 to 15 thousand dollars per machine and people are spending money on these games now as if new games are not coming out see what confuses me about pinball is there is so much happening in this hobby and it's going to continue to happen we are starting to attribute collector prices on things that are brand new none of this stuff is proven to have a long-term collector value it's not proven yet and I look at a game like Willy Wonka Collector's Edition. Right now, that game sat in a box a year ago, and you could get one easily for $12,500, right? And you could even get a used one for $11,000. Okay, now, a year later, same game. I know there's a little code update, but same game. It was the same game people didn't really want a year ago. Now, a new inbox one will cost you sixteen dollars to $17,000. Why is that? And what do you think is going to happen when Toy Story comes out? What do you think is going to happen when the Matrix comes out from Jersey Jack Pinball? Jersey Jack Pinball is not going to stop making games. Let's say today you go buy a Willy Wonka Collector's Edition new in box for $16,000 and you open it up. What is your game going to be worth in a year? What is it going to be worth in two years? Now, for some of you out there, you have so much money, it doesn't matter, and you're okay spending 40% more than something was just a year ago. And the same thing is happening with Stranger Things. The same thing is happening with Ghostbusters LE. Do you remember the good old days of this hobby? When Ghostbusters LE came out, it was beautiful. Then everyone realized it shot horrible, and the game was designed with a flaw. The flipper gap is a flaw. They've even admitted to us that it was a flaw. And Ghostbuster LE prices reflected that. And for almost two years, 
you could go get a Ghostbusters LE for right around eight or $9,000. And that's where it maxed out. People were trading them and you could find one every few months in the marketplace for around that price. Now look at Ghostbusters LE. There's none to be had. And if you put one up, I bet you could sell a Ghostbusters LE instantly for twelve dollars or $13,000. And God forbid you have the topper, then we're talking $15,000 on a machine that everybody collectively a few years ago realized wasn't a great shooter. And that's the reason why the prices were pretty flatlined. We are now starting to act like all of these things are these rare relics that we need to have. And if we don't get it, we're gonna miss out on having a good collection. And I wanna implore all of you out there, and as someone who does pinball podcasting for five years now, and someone who has dived deep into collecting, I wanna tell you my experience with collecting. The most fun when it comes to collecting is the chase. The chase to find something. You think about it, you go online, you're searching for it. I used to collect Beast Wars Transformers and I used to love, I used to love like going to the toy store and seeing if they had the rare variant and looking through the shelves and finding the ones that I needed and all of that chase and all of the time and energy on the message boards, on the forums, all of that was the fun. The hunt to find the thing you're looking for is where the fun truly lies. When you actually acquire the thing that you think is going to bring you happiness, when you actually get the item that you've been looking for all those years, there was always some unfulfillment that happened at the end of it for me. And this is just my personal experience with collecting. I always loved the chase, and then I got the item, and then I was somewhat unfulfilled because the chase was gone because thinking about getting it was gone because I had it. And now that I had it, there wasn't anything else to get. Now, what I do love about pinball is it's experiential, right? You play it. Like when you get these toys or these sneakers, like in these cars, people don't drive the cars that they want to collect. People don't wear the sneakers that they collect. Now, I hope people play the pinball machines that they collect because what would be the point in living a life in which you're going to die and one day you can't take any of this with you? What would be the point in collecting this stuff if you don't use it? But one day I woke up and I had a room full of Transformers and I had this amazing collection and it was valued at all this money. And one day I woke up and I said, you know what? I'm tired of having stuff that just sits on shelves. I'm tired of having stuff that I need to go get professionally graded and ship them all off. And then they get sealed inside of like acrylic boxes with an arbitrary score that then tells me what my collection is worth. I don't care, that's not what I want out of life. And I started to realize that I was a lot happier when I had less stuff instead of more stuff. And I stopped being OCD about the condition of my collection. And one day I woke up and I said, I'm gonna sell my Transformer collection. And I sold my G1 Transformer collection, which was the original ones from back in the day. I sold my G1 Transformer collection to a collector. I think his name is Jeff Jacobs. He has a multi-million dollar Star Wars collection. If you Google, if you look on YouTube, I think his name is Jeff Jacobs. If you look on YouTube for insane Star Wars collection in home, it's going to be him. And he goes through his basement and he has millions of dollars in Star Wars figures. Millions. He bought my Transformers for $30,000, and it meant nothing to him. I mean, it was a drop in the bucket for a guy like that. Super awesome guy, super nice guy, was super happy to pass it on. But it was like this moment when I realized, like, there's just always a bigger collector out there that's going to buy all this stuff up. It's not even going to mean that much to him because he has so much. Like, he didn't need these Transformers. I sold my Batman SLE for $16,000, and I haven't missed it. I enjoyed the game for two years, and it moved on. And you know who bought my Batman SLE? A guy that already has a Batman SLE new in box, but doesn't want to open it. 
So he bought two. And when, when I heard that, I was like, oh, man, I kind of wish I sold my Batman to a Batman fan. Someone who would really, really enjoy it and appreciate it. But someone who already has it in a box and just doesn't want to open it. And I'll never understand this. I'll never understand rich people that keep stuff sealed up and don't even want to open it. What is the point? Like, what is the point of life if you're not going to drive the car? If you're not going to wear those sneakers, if you're not going to smoke that expensive cigar, if you're not going to drink that expensive bottle of wine, what is the point? You don't need the money at all. So why is everyone always thinking about the resale value or the perceived value of the item versus enjoying it? And I mean this when I say this, like life is very short. I've seen people pass away from cancer. I've seen friends die way too early in traffic accidents. When you see how short and how fragile life is, and as I look at my, my new son and I look at how fragile life is, and I think about all the things we're gonna do together, one of the things I'm not gonna do with him is stare at a pinball machine inside a box and say, hey, look at that, Killian. That game inside that box is worth $30,000. Why would I do that? I would much rather him walk up to the game and say, let's play a game of Guns N' Roses. Let's play a game of Ultraman. Let's not keep the plays low, Killian, because if we keep the plays low, the value of this machine will be worth more. I don't like that mentality. And it's it's sweeping through everything that I'm nostalgic about that I geeked out over. It's sweeping through every item I grew up with, whether it's a car or a video game or a sneaker. Everything we grew up with, everything we just enjoyed as kids, every box we ripped open is now being valued more than the item itself. The low miles is where the value is in the car world. If you didn't drive it, now you've got something special. I'd rather sit down and have a beer with a guy that put 100,000 miles on his car versus sit down and have a beer with a guy who's got eight miles on his three-year-old Dodge Demon and wants to tell me how much it's worth. But this is coming to pinball now. It's here now. It's here. It's at our doorstep. This hobby is now being overrun by inflation and arbitrary prices where everyone thinks everything is collectible. The great news is this. You either can decide to jump into thinking about the hobby that way, or you can avoid thinking about the hobby that way. I would only buy a machine at MSRP. I would never pay over for a machine. I didn't pay over for my Batman SLE. The only machine I ever paid over and I speculated on was Magic Girl and I got burned and luckily I only lost $3,000 on that machine because I spent 23 and I sold it for 20, which is nuts. But I would never pay more than something is worth. I would never pay over. Now you may call me a hypocrite with what I'm about to say now though. Seeing where this market is going and seeing what people are spending on these games, if you're a seller, you absolutely should take advantage of the craziness happening in this hobby. If you have games new in box, like if you have a Ghostbusters LE new in box, congratulations, you just doubled up your money. I bet a Ghostbusters new in box LE would sell in this current market for sixteen dollars to $17,000 instantly, instantly. And the person who buys that game, they would even have no clue that every single Ghostbusters that's still new in box would probably have a horrible ghosted insert playfield. They wouldn't even know that until it's too late, until the money's transferred. So to close this out, here's my advice for everybody. Here's my advice for everybody. Just buy the games you love, but buy these things to play them. Don't overpay for machines. Don't chase the FOMO. Don't chase the hype. It's not real. The recession is coming. 
The inflation of the world is going to hit people so hard. I'm seeing people who don't have the millions of dollars. I'm seeing them overinvest in things that they don't need. What do we really need in life? We don't need pinball machines. We need shelter. We need food. We need love. Those are the most important things. We need companionship. You know, when I look at all these pinball prices and how much people spend and how much they spend on toppers and shooter rods, I spent $150 rescuing Bubba. Yes, he was expensive to take to the vet and to feed, but $150 put more joy in my life than any pinball machine could ever do. A hundred and fifty bucks. I would trade every single pinball machine on planet Earth to have one more year with Bubba. Absolutely. And each and every one of you feels the same way about the people you love, about your pets that you love, about vacations you've loved. I just hope pinball goes back to being in the position it should be in which is a toy to play and enjoy. It's not your future investment. It's not supposed to be that. It's not something where you should debate whether or not you can take that vacation or buy that pinball machine. It's not worth the same amount of money as a car. Look at everything that goes into a car and then look at a pinball machine. It's not. I'm sorry. The prices are through the roof. The magic is not in these machines. I want all of you guys out there who bought a Mandalorian LE. I want you to look at your machine. I want you to look at what Stern put into that game. I then want you to go over and look at a Twilight Zone, a Monster Bash, a White Water, a World Cup Soccer, a Theater of Magic. Will you please do that for me? And then go back and look at your Mandalorian, Ellie. Look at what's in the game. Look at what physically is in the game. And you tell me these machines are worth $10,000 plus. There's nothing physically in your game that's impressive. There's no real engineering happening. There's no world under glass. And as long as they keep putting out these cookie cutter games where everything we're supposed to be impressed by is either the artwork or what's on the LCD, that is not what pinball is. Pinball is a physical world under glass. And I think more and more of us should stop chasing these games and collecting them because of toppers and Beskar armor and all the BS that Stern wants you to believe is what makes the game special. It's not the armor. It's not the topper. It's not the art package. What should be making these games special is that world under glass, the magical thing that's happening underneath that glass. It's not happening in Mandalorian. And combos and flow is not magic, people. We need to stop it. They want you to think that designing a game with flow is magical. That's easy. That's par for the course. A game, every game should have flow. Every game should have combos. Every game should have smooth shots. We, it's, it's so funny to me how far this hobby has come with clunky, crappy designs and clunky engineering and lack of engineering and lack of creativity to the point now where people celebrate a game if it just shoots well. That is where we're at? That we are now giving people credit because they just have shots that can be hit, that are smooth, that have flow? No. No, 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 no. Nobody else has the guts to say this. No other podcast will talk about it like this. But pinball, for the most part, has been a lazy attempt over the last like five years. It has been. Absolute laziness in most of the games. And I mean that. And I'm telling you, the reason why I'm excited to follow this hobby is I'm waiting for more games like Big Lebowski. I'm waiting for more games that try hard like Ghostbusters but don't have flipper gaps. I'm waiting for games that have more mechs like the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. Where is the magic? All right, where is the magic? We didn't see it in Led Zeppelin. We didn't see it in Mandalorian. 
Are we going to see it in Godzilla? Are we going to see it in Back to the Future? Are we going to see it in Toy Story? I hope so. I really do hope so. But that's what makes pinball fun to me. That 3D world under glass that should be popping up off of the wood. Everyone's fallen victim to this. Stern has hired the greatest artists now to make these games look so good. But where's the mechanical wow? Where is it? That's what we should all be rooting for. We should not be clamoring to collect these things. We should be clamoring to get magical worlds under glass. All right, everybody, this has been Canada Club Episode 8. Do me a favor. If there's any topics you'd like me to talk about on the Canada Club, let me know at canadapinball at gmail.com. Tomorrow is my beautiful wife, Brenda's birthday, August 15th. I'm going to buy her a round of drinks from all of you who have contributed, and she will love it, and she loves you guys, and I hope you understand that when you donate to Canada's Pinball Podcast, that that money is going to spoiling Brenda, because without her, none of this would be possible, without her support. So I want to thank her for putting up with this show. I know she listens to the Canada Clubs as well, because she also, she's contributed more than any of you could ever contribute to Canada's Pinball Podcast. Everybody, have a great weekend and I will be back with more Canada Club episodes just for you and you guys are doing a good job I'm seeing about a hundred and fifty people are listening to everyone that means you guys are not sharing these links and you're keeping it to yourselves I'm very proud of you and I'm very happy to have the best fans in all of pinball I'll talk to you soon you never count your money when you're sitting at the table there'll be time enough counting when the deal is done